Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I can promise you're in the right place. Today's buzz, well, we have a reality check for all manufacturers. And the reality check is hurry. What is she talking about? Let's get started. We are already midway into the fourth industrial revolution. If you don't know that, come out from under whatever rock you're hiding behind and let's talk about it. Talking to manufacturers, if your facility still is not taking advantage of exponential advances in technology, you know they're out there. Exploding big data, amazing innovations, guess what? You can't hide much longer because the handwriting is on the wall. You will soon be out of business because you will be obsolete. Yes, I know it's dire. I know it's a warning, but we are serious about this. So the question on the faces on the lips of all of you manufacturers who are in that category, what will it take for us to catch up? Well, a couple of words of wisdom here. First, you have to learn how to harness the power of in-memory computing and Internet of Things and wearable technologies and additive manufacturing and predictive capabilities. Wow, that's a lot of homework. On top of that, you have to stop underestimating the changes in your customers' expectations. They are changing. They're coming in from different channels, different needs, different wants. They want it now. And guess what? Your competition, if they're already in the game and they've got a lot of skin in the game and know what's going on, they're not underestimating the changing dynamics of customers' expectations. So you can't hide from that either. And there's a lot more. I don't want to wear you down. I want to bring you up to speed. We have a panel of three experts who are going to share what's going on in the world of manual manufacturing. And our topic today, in case you haven't already guessed, is transporting your factory into the future now. This is part one of a part two, and we'll be back with part two in a couple of weeks also here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Let me introduce our first panelist. He is Mark Frank, Deloitte Consulting's U.S. Automotive SAP Practice Leader. And Mark has sent me an interesting quote, a serious quote from Jonathan Winters. Now, I say serious quote because I know Jonathan Winters. I knew him as a fabulous comedian. I saw him on TV for years and years. I know I'm dating myself. He lived from 1925 to 2013. He was a comedian, actor, artist, author, and he recorded many classic comedy albums for the Verve Records label. So much about him. Here's the quote. Nothing is impossible. Some things are just less likely than others. Mark Frank, I love the quote. I can't imagine Jonathan Winters not being shocked if he could talk from the grave about being included on a Coffee Break with Game Changers business radio show. Welcome, Mark. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful, Bonnie. Thank you so much for this quote. Tell me, how did you pick Jonathan Winters for this topic? So I I came up with this quote, Bonnie, because is we're talking about the future of manufacturing. Whenever I kind of put the predictive hat on and start thinking about what's coming in the future, I have to remind myself to have a little bit of a sense of humor in the whole process because typically what we think is impossible quickly becomes possible, and it's not until that obvious point hits. And when I found this quote uh, a couple of years ago, I just got a kick out of it because I remember seeing Jonathan Winters on TV as a comedian and and uh, to, to hear this kind of quote from from that perspective just kind of, allows me to to think through some of the things that we come up with come true and some of the things aren't quite the way we envision 20 years from now. 
I agree. And, and you know something, as you're talking, Mark, I'm, I'm remembering what I believe he is best known for. It was a character, a grandmotherly character named Maudie Frickett. You remember? I do. Yeah, I know. Okay, you're, you're harking back to my era, I hate to say. Listen, tell me something. My predictions, my comments in the opening, do you agree, Mark, that it is a dire prediction for manufacturers today if they're not up to speed? Is it really as bad as all that? Just your thoughts. Um, I think for those who aren't paying attention to what's going on, that it can become dire. I think there's going to be a lot of transformation over the next uh, few years, and I think those that are poised to take advantage of it, uh, there'll be some big winners and some uh, probably big losers. And Mark, any particular part of the manufacturing industry or segment that we're talking about today, or is everybody vulnerable to not being up to speed and not embracing transformational change? What do you see? I, I think everybody's vulnerable. I think that the, you know, in manufacturing, everything's been about scale and efficiency. And with technologies that are coming about, there's all kinds of opportunities to do things at lower volumes and be much more disruptive. And I think those that are able to kind of keep one foot in the, in the past and the history, I think will also allow them to keep one foot in the future and, and be nimble and, and agile to take advantage of things. I think the show's over. We said it all. Thank you very much, Mark Frank from Deloitte. <laughs> Great overview. Thank you so much and a pleasure to meet you. And a, a shout out to your colleagues at Deloitte who are always so eager to participate on our Game Changers radio show. Shout out to Carla Neal and Amanda Bush and everybody else behind the scenes. So that's our Deloitte shout out for the day. Now let's welcome a newcomer. He is Timothy Day. He told me since we're old friends from, after one prep call, I can call him Tim. He is the Operation Excellence Global Systems and Inter integration IT leader with Johns Manville. First time Johns Manville has participated. And Tim Day has sent me a quote from Lord Kelvin, K-E-L-V-I-N. Those of you wondering, scratching your head, original name was William Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-O-N, first Baron Kelvin. He is an O-M, G-C-V-O, P-C, P-R-S, P-R-S-E. He's a British mathematical physicist and engineer born in 1824 in Belfast, passed away in 1907. And here's the quote, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Ten words, nine words. If you cannot measure it, you cannot improve it. There, I had to measure it, nine words. Tim Day, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? Doing great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for the interesting quote. So how did you come across this quote from Lord Kelvin, who's not exactly a, a neighbor down the street? And how does it relate to our topic today, Tim? Right. It possibly came from my chemistry background, but as you go into Lean and Six Sigma on the shop floor, there's a... It's really all based around just this improving, which is all based on measuring. And if you can't reach into the machine and understand what's happening and, you know, graph that, chart it, see which direction it's going, you know, it really uh, makes it nearly impossible to understand what's happening on your shop floor. Okay. Are, is this part of our, our message to manufacturers about measuring? Is this the core, the guts of the message today, Tim, or is this just a piece of it in terms of transformation? Is this like the building block of everything? Uh, I think so. When you are when you have building blocks out there, of just how do you fix your shop floor process of putting something in the face of the operator to for him to improve either the product or the quality or decrease the change over time? It really speaks to just that that grabbing the data off the shop floor, which is the topic of what we're we're about to get into, mm -hmm. and just the massive amount of data that's now being come available on the shop floor, and just putting that in the context of a user to 
just do great things with it. Okay, thank you very much, Tim Day, and a pleasure to welcome you. We'll find out a little more later about what you do at Johns Manville. And let me bring on our third panelist, who is one of the inspirations for this topic. He is Rick Imber, National VP for the Extended Supply Chain Center of Excellence at SAP. And Rick sent me a quote that we couldn't find the source. We couldn't find the attribution, but upon my great research, I found, or extensive research, I should say, not sure how great it is, I found similar words spoken by Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is the co-founder of DreamWorks. He was the is the CEO of DreamWorks Animation and former chairman of Walt Disney Studios from 1984 to 94, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And here's the quote, very interesting words. The secret of success is doing what you have to do better than you have to do it. I think that's a mantra for living. Don't you think so, Rick Ember? How are you today? I'm doing great. Good morning. And Good it's morning. funny, I, I, that's one of the first things I was going to say. I think it's a mantra for being a good human being. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, I'm not sure exactly where it came from either, but I'll tell you where I first saw it. It was in the office of my dentist. And I remember looking up at this on the wall saying, well, that's good. I hope my teeth turn out better than they have to be. I mean, it's not as uh, eloquent as Jonathan Winters or Lord Kelvin or Jeffrey Katzenberg, but uh, my dentist had it on its wall. And I started thinking, you know, that's good. It's a good mantra for living. It's how you're a good human. And I'm going to teach that to my kid. And then I started thinking, well, geez, that, that's a good thing for being a good employee. And I think mm-hmm. it absolutely translates down to the factory floor. And if you want to make a good product, you want to make it better than it has to be. That's how you're successful. And if you want to run an efficient factory floor, you need to do it better than you have to do it. That way you can be successful. So I, I think it's a, applicable in all aspects of life and business. We agree. And Rick, this brings to mind something from way back in my childhood. Do you see if you, any of you remember this? Good, better, best. Never let it rest till the good is better and the better is best. What do you think? Is there a relationship with that quote too, Rick? Well, yeah, absolutely. I've never heard that <laughs> quote. I, I, I <laughs> wish I kind of wrote it down. I'm going to go look that up. But yeah, absolutely. I think it's saying the same thing. Thank you. I'll send that to you. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till the good is better. I don't know if it was something we used to jump rope to or I don't know, one of those silly things that kids did back in the I won't tell you what era that's from. Thank you very much. Let's circle back to my, and by the way, shout out to Marty Mrugel at SAP who uh, I contacted to come and do a show about Factory of the Future and he put me in touch with Rick Imber. So Rick, very happy to have you on and working on this on part one and part two of Factory of the Future now. Okay. Okay, so let's talk to Mark Frank at Deloitte. Mark, I warned you on the prep call. I'm going to ask you what's in your cup today. What are you drinking right now? Or tell me a story about what you're planning to drink later after the show. Mark? So right now I'm drinking a Starbucks Americano, which is my normal morning coffee. But it's rosé season. Summer's about to be over, and I've got one bottle left of, of a Pinot Noir rosé from Lucia Vineyards called Lucy which is on the docket for dinner tonight. Wow, very nice. A little wine that my wine guy found and said, normally rosés don't come from the Santa Barbara area, but he found it and he hooked me on it for the summer. So you said that's a Pinot Rosé? Yep, it's a Pinot Noir Rosé. Pinot Noir Rosé, very interesting. I have been uh, known to use Lucy as a code name, so when that name comes up... (laughs) 
I just I just listen up and say, wow, something for Lucy here. Very interesting. We'll have to tweet that later. <laughs> Pinot Noir Rosé from California. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoy the bottle now that you've been saving it. And uh, the Americano sounds pretty good, too. Thank you very much. Tim Day, where are you calling from and what are you drinking or what are you thinking about? I'm in Littleton, Colorado. I actually got some, some water going this morning. Um, but when we travel to Slovakia... There's a small place in the town where our where our manufacturing plant is. It's a college town, and this little Pilsner beer there is uh, absolutely incredible. It's a uh, it's kind of like I'm sure everybody's aware of the New Belgium Fat Tire. Kind of has a taste like that. It's a bit of a um, you know fantastic finish to it. But the funny story is is that as we go from Germany, paying about seven dollars seven euros for a pint. We get into this bar, which we're we're pretty sure is a college bar at this point, because we're paying about like, one euro per pint, and it's a uh, it's an unbelievable beer, and it's just a it's a great place to be, and just you know, fun little place to hang out. Tim, I just Googled fat tire, and I I've never heard of that before. You said everybody knows. That's new to me. And there is a website called beeradvocate.com that talks about it, but I found newbelgium.com beer slash fat dash tire, and it's fat tire amber ale beer from New Belgium Brewing. Very interesting. And you and know what it's the, named in honor of, Tim? Yeah, sorry. That's the um, that's what it tastes like for the Americans. Over there, it's a beer. It's actually called Krusevich. It's a Czech beer. Um, very much on the on the amber ale um, side of the flavoring. So, Krusevich is the beer you want to look up. Okay, and I want to tell you that Fat Tire was named in honor of the co-founder's bike trip through Europe. I don't know if you knew that. Fat Tire, not Flat Tire. And what's the other name you're giving us? <laughs> Kurtzovich? How do you spell Kurtzovich? Krusevich. I could hack it up a little bit. It's probably K R U C I or C-V-I-C, something like that. All right. I'll look that up later off air and see if we can find it. Haven't found it yet, but we will will hunt it down. If anybody knows where it is, just send it to hashtag SAP Radio. Thank you very much, Tim. Great story. Rick Imber, where are you? What are you drinking? Tell me. Well, I am in Vista, California. And since I've already finished my coffee for the morning, I've actually just got a bottle of water in front of me. But, Tim, I, I didn't know you were going to talk about beer. I'm also going to talk about beer because if you were to go out and Google Vista California Breweries, you will see that we've got a little uh, population of microbreweries here. Iron Fist, Belching Beaver, Aztec Breweries, Booze Brothers, Latitude 33. There's about 10 in a five-mile radius. And it's, what they do with these little microbreweries is they roll up like their delivery door, and they've got what they call a tasting room in all of them. And uh, you can bring your dog, you can bring your kid, whatever, and usually a food truck pulls out outside, and you can go in and try a beer, see what it tastes like. And uh, so I think maybe later on tonight I'll head on over to the Belching Beaver and grab myself a peanut butter milk stout uh, in their tasting room. So that's what's going on over here. What does a peanut butter milk stout taste like, Rick? It's (laughs) beer, my goodness. Like a peanut butter beer, which sounds a little bit weird, but uh, it's actually quite fantastic. 
Very interesting. And by the way, Tim, I tried to look up your uh, whatever we called it, and I came up with Czech lager beers. That's the only thing I could find for that beer that started with a K. So we'll take a, do a little bit of more research later on. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Interesting. Guess what? Uh, those of you, well, you three of you don't know me very well at all. I'm not allowed to have anything with caffeine in it on radio show days, so I have a lovely cup of water in a nice glass with a green straw. Green is for success. We'll just leave it at that. So guess what? We're talking today about transporting your factory into the future now. There's an urgency. We're talking a reality check for manufacturers. If you're not embracing big data and innovations and exponential advances in technology and predictive capabilities, you are hiding somewhere you don't want to be. You've got a cat. Catch up, hurry up. The handwriting is on the wall. We're going to help you figure out what you need to do. My special guests today are Mark Frank at Deloitte, Tim Day at Johns Manville, Rick Imber at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm planning to be after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back in about 60 seconds. Justin, out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and our topic of the day is transporting your factory into the future. Now, the handwriting is on the wall for manufacturers who are hiding from the truth. The truth is you'd better look at what's happening, what's coming down the pike, because it's here already. Our panelists today are Mark Frank at Deloitte, Tim Day at Johns Manville, and Rick Imber at SAP. Mark Frank and Deloitte has graciously agreed to help me start the roundtable. So, Mark, let's do a little level setting here. We're talking about the future of manufacturing, but we also need to talk about the manufacturing landscape. So I'm looking at your notes, and you say the manufacturing landscape is facing dramatic changes. Let's just start there. What's going on? Mark, let's kick it off. Well, Bonnie, I think if you look at the landscape for manufacturing, you know, we're really seeing four big shifts in the, in the near future and that are really quite happening, happening to the manufacturing industry as we speak. You know, the first is customer demand. You know, the, the customers are looking for products that are much smarter, more connected, 
and much more personalized, which is forcing the manufacturers to think through their whole value chain. From a product standpoint, the second shift is really around tech advances. We're seeing much more modularity in a shift from product to platforms, um, really allowing for manufacturers to speed the manufacturing process as well as potentially leverage third parties to uh, co-design, co-create, and co-deliver. But most importantly, we see a shift in the whole economic pl platform of production with additive manufacturing, robotics, even material sciences, we're seeing a much uh, quicker reaction to building things. We're seeing shifts in the ability to go from high volume to low volume at similar price points. Um, and it's really kind of creating a lower barrier to entry in many manufacturing segments, which is you know, going to create some of this disruption that we're seeing. We're also seeing a, a uh, those that are kind of in the winning category, focusing on the economics of the overall value chain. There's plenty of examples of people that have that have looked at the manufacturing process from, you know, from customer all the way back to raw material and looking for ways to either take whole entries of the value chain out and manufacturers going directly to the consumer. And then there's all kinds of opportunities for that space to really drive value in the value chain that isn't about just efficiency and labor arbitrage. And those that are looking at all four of those will really start to drive how they can focus on the, you know, not only what they're doing today, but the future. And there's, there's all kinds of examples of, of companies that are looking at, at these different pieces. Um, you know, we've, uh, we've seen, you know, the emergency, the emergence of places like um, Warby Parker, who have you know taken the the eyeglass manufacturing space by storm and really pushing a you know a, taking a barrier to entry which was almost single sourced of an industry and going direct to the consumer and basically taking over that whole value chain and it's just interesting to see as manufacturing and products and production emerge how much more things can happen locally than what some of the manufacturers may have thought five ten years ago. Thank you very much, Mark. Good introduction. Lot to talk about. Tim Day, Johns Manville. Talk to me. What do you think about what Mark laid out for us? Yeah, that was great, Mark. That touched on a lot of what we do. Um, at Johns Manville, we've, we're process industry, so we do a lot of finished goods that are sent to the OEM, send them to Boeing, and they stamp it out and put it inside their plane. So along the line of the co-design, that's a huge factor of what we're dealing with right now, of how we can how do you partner with a good um, customer and have them look into your process and feed them that data to where you can just co-innovate and co-design for the benefit of all your, you know, which would be their end customers? Uh, the other one is inside the four walls of our plant, getting the data out of our machinery up to other vendors so they can watch the non-proprietary process that we run but air compression and maybe something happening in a silo that the plant maintenance side can really focus on the proprietary machinery of, you know, melting glass that's key to, that's core to John's Manville. But things outside of that, um, proprietary, just have vendors from the outside really focus on that. Keeps your plant maintenance staff down, but again, providing that data outward. And all that's just in the name of you know, a lot of innovation within 
Johns Manville and how do we improve our production process, taking advantage of all this data that's available and coming up with new innovations and new, you know, new technology um, just to advance that process to make turn sand into our finished product more efficiently. Thank you, Tim. Rick Imber, thoughts on what Mark said and what Tim added, please. Well, yeah, it's funny. I, Tim and I must be in sync here because we're both going to talk about beer, and I was going to talk about, you know, you just mentioned air compression and outside vendors. I, I was thinking about an example. Um, when Mark talked about uh, some of the stuff, I was thinking, you know, it, I agree with everything he said, and I also think a lot of companies are able to rethink their business models and reimagine their business models. An example I was going to give was a company SAP worked with recently called Kaiser Compressors, and they make big compressors, industrial compressors. And in around uh, 2008, they, were, they saw a downturn in the economy, and they had trouble selling these uh, big, expensive compressors. But with the change of technology, what they were able to do is rethink their business model. And what they did is they said, you know, if we can put some sensors in these compressors and gather tons and tons of data from each compressor that's out at a customer site. For example, you know, vibration analysis and heat and pressure and all this stuff. They could actually bring millions of sensor readings a day from each piece of equipment into some sort of real-time platform and analyze it and actually predict the failure of this piece of equipment and then call up the customer and say, look, we've got a problem. We're sensing something outside of uh, tolerance limits and we think we need to come in and fix it. And so they were able to rethink their business model and say, you know what, we're going to go from the business of selling compressors to selling compressed air. And uh, this is huge. That It actually transformed the way they did business and had huge gains for their company. Rick, do you think a lot of manufacturers are able to have that kind of vision into what the options are, selling uh, services instead of just whatever they were doing before? Do you think that this is a mindset that's taking hold? And I'll open this up to the whole panel. Is this a new way of thinking that is taking a a grip that people are understanding? Or is this somebody's going to tune into the show and say, wow, really? I never thought of that. Rick, what do you see? Well, absolutely. I mean, I don't think it's, you know, necessarily a revolutionary thought, but I do think the technology's finally caught up and enabled us to be able to make it a reality. And so many people are absolutely moving in this direction. And yeah, this Mark is, Frank, what, yeah, go ahead. Who's this? Yeah, this? This is Mark. I think the other yeah. thing that you see in that space is, is with the advance in technology, with 3D printing and the like, you can get to a prototype much faster. But those that are actually listening to their customer and kind of getting away from just being a product but, you know, driving their product to a platform or even a service, I think are able to stay in tune with their customers in a different way and drive that back into the, to the manufacturing cycle. And those are the things that I think is, you know, as you look at, you know, the emergence of so many high-tech and technology companies kind of going back and saying, we can go deal with manufacturing. They're kind of looking at, at a lot of product as a platform and trying to put that smart touch and feel. You know, mm-hmm. so you see the emergence of Google and Apple saying they're going to go get into the car business, and it's amazing to kind of see how yeah. something that's, you know, been around for 100 years um, is suddenly being innovated because of the advances of technology and, you know, wearables and, you know, the, the whole concept of your car being just a big cell phone. So it's, it's interesting, and I do think that platform and product, productization 
is going to have a big influence on how things are manufactured and sold. Mark, do you think that some of the traditional manufacturers, especially in automotive, are saying, get the hell out of my industry? What are you doing? What do you mean you're going to make a car? This is my town. You're not welcome here. You know, like in the old westerns. What do you think, Mark? Well, from a talent standpoint, and a, you know, I think those that, that keep that attitude are probably going to struggle. Um, I think mm. those that, that embrace it and say, how do we go uh, be that front edge um, will okay. probably be a longer competitor. Um, the, you know, the concept of, you know, there's so many examples where people have gone and shown that they can build a car in X days. So, you know, there's yep. examples like local motors who used 3D printing and, and crowdsourcing to, you know, build a kit car that didn't require any steel presses. Um, you know, and you've got others like Wikispeed that, you know, built a car completely off with off-the-shelf products and parts and, you know, built a, a road-ready car. So there's, if you just focus on the manufacturing technology, but don't think about the customer and the consumer, then mm -hmm. then, the manu then at least from an automotive standpoint, I think there's going to be a lot of disruption. But I would say most of the big players, I think, had a big wake-up call in the last year or so as yep. Google came out with a connected car, and they're all racing to uh, compete for that talent in, uh, in the wearable space. Yep, and I'm thinking of an old phrase from way back when called, if you can't beat them, join them. You remember that one? Mm -hmm. So, right, if, if they're Absolutely. the ones on the innovative, the cutting edge, they're getting all the attention, the money, the funding, the, the public attention, you don't want to hide behind that rock I talked about in the beginning and say, oh, not me, we're going to do it the same old way. You're just going to be very, very lonely after a while and very, very broke. Thank you very much. Mark, anything you want to wrap up on this topic? Because I'm ready to go in a new direction. I'm looking at Tim Day's notes. Any other thoughts, Mark, on this? No, but I think we can switch over Good. to Tim and... See if we okay. can take things in a different direction. Thank you very much. Tim, I'm looking at your notes. You sent such an interesting and extensive commentary here, and I'm looking at the topic called data delivery, and I want to talk about what's happening on the shop floor. I'm going to read a couple of sentences. Love for you to comment. You say, I've heard it said that the explosion of mobile tools on the shop floor has been driven by millennials wanting touch-type interfaces. And Tim Day says, I disagree. I'm not going to read your disagreement statement. Why don't you take us into this, Tim? What's your thought? <laughs> Great. Um, with the millennials coming in the workforce, there's a lot of adjustments. And how do we get? How do we involve them? How do you engage? You know, the new people coming in, um, trying to make your company look good. But when you get down to the shop floor, the ones that we've been able to hire, they're really looking for um, standing overlooking a line and really see what's happening with some type of touchscreen device. And the way I disagree with that is there's a there's a different approach where the amount of data that's now available off the shop floor, to me, it just seems there's a there's a natural progression to getting that into the hands of the operators and the supervisors. And the way we've the way we've done that is you break down your production process, different variables that go into making the final product. As you do statistics and linear regression, there's a few of those that are definitely going to impact that finished goods from a quality perspective, you know, the performance involved. You talk about manufacturing specs and where you can run between the lines and have that product come out perfect for the customer. But if the customer will accept something that's on that lower end and you're using less material, less energy mm -hmm. um, into that process, 
show that to the operator, and if there's something with that line as you've based the line, a baseline for that machine or for that product that he's manufacturing, when you see that on a, on a device or on a computer screen and the operator is actually able to adjust and say, I'm running above that baseline, assume that's bad, either dial the machine down and stay below it, or if he's below it, you know, run it up a little bit higher and create some, you know, possible crew-to-crew competition where they can see where the others are running. But the downstream effects on quality, but also into the environmental side, if you're, if you're using more energy and you, you've signed up for some kind of demand response with the energy company, you need to stay below those lines. Um, the ability to just see where you're at from an environmental perspective um, what do you set for your emissions? If you're producing more, you have a lot going up the stack, and you're only permitted for a certain value, but you're, on an average, you can see that you're going to go over and exceed your permitted value by the end of the month, you know, dial it down, um, clean the filter, do certain preventive mm-hmm. maintenance. But this idea of the, the millennials really pushing this um, shop floor technology, um, I see it in a different way that it's really the technology is there. All the handheld devices are now there where you can put something in the face of the operator or supervisor where he can see his whole manufacturing line and, you know, pinpoint something where a pump is going out or, you know, why is that line not producing? Um, you know, you can really see it from a consolidated view on a, on a tablet um, he doesn't have to be in his office looking at it. He can be on the floor with mobile mm-hmm. devices, you know, really interacting with the sh- machine and the people, you know, making a great process and making a great product for their customers. Tim, it sounds to me like th- there are no excuses. You can't say, well, let's look back at last month's production or let's look back at last month's emission levels. Uh, we want to know now, and you can know now because of the data and the handhelds and the visibility of all these new tools on the shop floor. My question to you before I invite Rick Imber and Mark Frank to chime in on this, Tim, my question is we're talking about millennials, and, and we need to talk about the rest of the workforce. So what you call in your notes the heart, the hands and the heads and the hearts of the aging workforce, what is it like just quickly in the world of manufacturing today on the shop floor with multiple generations working literally side by side and new technology that the younger ones cut their teeth on, not so familiar to the older or let's say the more established members of the workforce. Any agita there, any competition for, yeah, I know how to use that tool versus damn, send me to a class fast. Any comments on the the people side of that, Tim Day? Oh, absolutely. Um, Mm. A little bit of competition in there. You know, it's definitely a... Mm -hmm. You know, the older workforce is going to have their little black book as we describe it, but there's also just that level of experience that we do see the millennials asking a lot of questions. And as they're writing it down or as we can get that into the machinery of just the visualization they see, kind of removes that little black book. But just to comment on some place where you're going a little bit, the information now is really something, it's not your business warehouse where you look at it at the end of the month. You can get everything into the face of that operator mm-hmm. and have them make a decision in the next five minutes. And there that's you where go. you can look at what's happening on the shop floor. You don't have to know anything about the machinery. If something's turned red, you know you need to go do something. And then you need to you know, get some experience or find somebody with that experience. But 
having them combined on the shop floor is actually uh, it's actually pretty cool to see the way they interact and they actually help the you know if there is a technology gap there where somebody knows what's happening they they do help each other and it's it's actually pretty cool to see and Tim, you said the word cool twice in your last two sentences, and I love that because we don't normally relate factories and manufacturing with the word cool. Or do we, Rick Imber? What do you see? We talked about a lot of things. What's your POV on different different aspects of the workforce, different parts, different generations working side by side in these new shop floor technologies? Rick? Yeah, we did cover a lot of stuff there. Uh, thank you, Tim. So, you know, I'll start with the millennials. You know, if you look at how these people grow up and how they interact with the world, it is all digital, it's all quick, it's all sexy, it's all easy. You know, PayPal and Uber and social media and online banking and purchasing, you know, everything is just tap, tap, and it's done. And if you as an organization are looking to retain and attract and retain quality, you know, uh, perhaps even a young workforce, you need to be in that environment. And so having somebody walk onto the factory floor and say, check out this beautiful green screen, it just doesn't fly. So, you know, being able to bring these people in with the latest and greatest tools is imperative. And that the information is all there and putting it on a tablet just makes sense. And whether you choose ruggedized or, you know, the that price point is a little too high and you go with just traditional, you know, uh, iPads or something like that, what we can do on these tablets down on the factory floor is absolutely amazing. And it's more than just presenting information. It's presenting information and putting it in context and making it graphical and beautiful and everything's just a tap away. So, you know, it might be nice to present uh, sensor readings and, you know, show projections of how a piece of equipment is, um, is operating temperatures and stuff like that and making sure it's okay, but being able to predict failures, as we talked about earlier. Now, a red light comes on a dashboard on your tablet and says, hey, we got an issue. I think something's going to happen on this piece of equipment. Being able to put that in context, we can do that now on a mobile device. We can sit here and say, if this equipment goes down, tap on something. Well, here's what will happen to your production schedule. Here's how you might be able to reroute some things to a different work center. Here's upcoming repair orders for that equipment. You do need to take action. You don't need to take action. Here's the repair history for that equipment. So you can decide, do I want to fix this piece of equipment again? Oh, geez, it's been fixed, you know, five times in the last six months. Maybe we need to replace this particular part rather than fixing it again. Then you go down a track, okay, maybe I do want to investigate replacing it. On a tablet, tap, tap, you can go out and connect digitally to like a business network of suppliers. People can, who offer contingent labor to come in and fix it or people who can supply a new pump. Oh, it looks like it's available. The things we can do from a tablet with a beautiful user interface that will keep your millennials thrilled and have you increasing your efficiencies, you know, increasing your overall equipment effectiveness, uh, increasing your production line uptime. It's all there. It's all available now. And this is the factory of the future. Well, I say it's the factory of the future because most factories aren't to this point yet, but the technology, mm-hmm. it exists now. 
And, and Rick, I have to tell you, we covered uh, Factor of the Future on Coffee Break Radio a couple of years ago. And we talked about, we were talking about the perspective of when will the time come when somebody will be able to say, my kid works in such and such a factory. He's got a cool, sexy job. He's on the shop floor. He's monitoring things. He's got a tablet. He knows what's happening. He has his finger on the pulse of inventory and of, of any kind of production corrections. And he knows where to find the people to fix things. Are we at that point yet, Rick, where it's a sexy job to work in a factory again, or was it ever? What do you think? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I kind of chuckle at the word, you know, sexy to work in a factory floor. You know, everything you said, we're at that point. We, the technology exists. Companies are doing it, but I don't think we have widespread adoption. There's a lot of work to be doing, done right now, rolling this stuff out and getting companies and factories to adopt it. Okay, yeah, is, well, there's, is, there's a – Mark, I think. Yes, One please. thing to think about there, I know I just read a, a study not long ago from the Manufacturing Institute that says the, the gap of, of the workforce is growing by leaps and bounds, but I do think the technology is going to start to help deal with that barrier to learning. People will, as, as, as we heard just a minute ago about the black book, I think the ability to kind of go out and use technology to learn and robotics being much more advanced and much smaller, I think will start to allow a lot of those things to happen. But the gap is still out there. I think the, you know, there's, there's close to, I think, 2 million jobs that are expected to be open between now and 2025. And trying to drive uh, that gap in, in skills and getting the millennials to go join the factory is going to require a lot of this technology. But I and think that Mark, that's the... Are yep. those jobs all in the U.S. or are they around the world? I think those are... Those are um, globally, um, mm-hmm. but I, I do think there's going to be more of a shift from where things moved to labor arbitrage. You're seeing more trends of people moving more to local distribu- distribution. So if you look at it, like there's an example where in the apparel industry, Bob Bland, one of the fashion designers in New York, actually looked at their value chain and saw that all the machinery and all of the workforce was being driven offshore, he actually built a 160,000-square-foot facility and production studio in Brooklyn, and he's driving more of that local distribution and production closer to home. And I think with the advances in technology, you'll start to see more of that, especially as 3D printers and microchip processors and robotics get smaller and more cost-effective, you'll be able to see some of that shift kind of move back into into centers that may have moved manufacturing out. Thank you. Interesting comment about Bob Land. Of course, you know I looked it up while you were speaking. And just a note here, Bob Land is CEO and founder of Manufacture New York, MNY, a social enterprise that is rethinking the fashion ecosystem in terms of design, development, distribution, and more. And there's another comment here. There's an article way back in December 8, 2013 in com. C-R-A-I-N-S-N-E-W-Y-O-R-K, says Bob Land spices up fashion incubator. A lot of information. Very good. Very good. I wasn't even thinking in terms of fashion at this point. Thank you very much. Uh, Tim Day, anything you want to wrap up on this before I – we have just a few more minutes before we go to our prediction segment called the Crystal Ball. Anything else you want to wrap up on this before I look at some points from Rick Ember? Tim? I don't think so. I think they covered covered a lot of what was there. Um, Thank you. 
good conversation. I'm, I'm glad you sparked that. Rick Imber, I'm looking for something sexy in here, and I think I found it. You're talking about, oh, sorry about that word. What can I tell you, Rick? Augmented reality from 3D mobile technologies to wearables is an interesting technology that can have far-reaching impacts on the factory of the future, from managing inventories to fixing production equipment. Did you talk about that before? I didn't hear augmented reality and wearables specifically. You want to touch on that, Rick? Yeah, I don't believe I did talk about that. So okay, let's to. do it. Yeah. You know, so it, it's interesting, and and much like we you were just asking me about, you know, um, the stuff that's on the tablet on the factory floor. Are we there now? You know, I said if the technology exists, it's just we we need to uh, adopt it a little quicker. Same thing with this augmented reality. The technology w- would blow you away. The things we're doing out there, the things we're seeing, the thing companies are doing. But it, the adoption, it, we seem to be in an inflection point. And, and I'm talking about working with things like Google Glass, which I understand. Back in January, they kind of said that that's on hold, and I'm not really sure what they're doing with their Google Glass division or other manufacturers like View Six. I mean, basically, they're glasses that you put on that can uh, interact with your back-end business systems. And I've seen several scenarios for, like, a service technician going out to a customer site to fix a piece of equipment. They can put on these glasses and be queued up information. They can have maps displayed in their glasses, spare parts list. Uh, Heck, they can even do FaceTime technical support with somebody in the back office to look at a piece of equipment. They can pull up schematics, works instructions, all displayed right there on glasses. There's another scenario where you sit there and talk about a warehouse picker putting on these glasses and going through the factory floor, and it shows you how to uh, pick your items with you know overlays and routings and how to walk through the, the warehouse floor. Or even augmented reality. You know, um, we've uh, seen prototypes of companies that will take their iPad out there to some sort of uh, the factory floor somewhere out there to some sort of production facility. You hold up the camera on your iPad and you're projecting an image of the factory floor equipment and overlaid on top of that right there on your iPad is information about pieces of equipment. You can be queued up with geospatial information where you tap on it, in, like a hybrid between you know an overlay, augmented reality, and an actual camera image of the equipment. You tap on it, and you can get performance metrics and maintenance history. The, the, the technology is amazing. It's here now, but adoption is really, uh, you know, we're an inflection point on the adoption of this technology. What's it going to take, Rick? What's it going to take for more adoption? Listening to programs like this, hearing the words of wisdom of you and, and Mark Frank and Tim Day, uh, what, what is it going to take to get them to wake up and say, boy, we better focus our strategy, we better focus our leadership team on this? What's it going to take? Huh. You know, maybe it, it's – I'm not really sure. You know, with Google Glass kind of putting things on hold – uh, it kind of puts a wrinkle in it. I, I think we need hardware to take a firm stance moving forward, and then people will maybe invest in that platform. I think right now companies are kind of taking a wait-and-see approach to see what happens, so that might be a good start, having the hardware um, more solidified. Okay. Mark Frank, let's dial it back over to you. What do you think about augmented reality on the shop floor? Any comments on what Rick added for us? Well, there's a couple things that I, that I would add to that. You know, one, I think that the emergence of, of technology is, is clearly going to hit the shop floor. I think the other piece is you're going to start to see a lower price point. So, for example, at, at, um, at MakerCon 
2014, a little company called Seed Studios, S-E-E-E-D, um, mm-hmm. basically showed up with a, an exoskeleton remote control. Basically, it was completely made out of, uh, it, was, it was basically a prototype of, um, I think, Dexmo's uh, robotics. But they basically were able to put it together for like 100 bucks using sensors and 3D printing. And they were able to demonstrate that they could actually control a robot just with the simple use of your hand. I mm. think with the emergence of, of new technologies, you're going to see more of those types of things that will advance. It'll allow more data to take place. It'll allow ease of manufacturing. And I think as more of those things just kind of get created out of, you know, a smaller startup fee, you're going to start to see more adoption in the marketplace. And I think that's the piece that, I think will be the disruptors. I mean, Google Glass is really, really cool, but as people, you know, start to look at how many of those they can go do, and I've seen those demos in in warehouses where they go and pick things. I think you're going to continue to see the the emergence of those types of of efficiencies, you know, just based on new things popping up and the ability to kind of build them through a printer versus having to go all the way back and prototype them with with uh, you know, typical metals and other things that you would see in in yesterday's technology. Thank you. Tim Day, talk to us. What do you see? Uh, definitely lots of uh lots of opportunity here. You know, just not only just repeating what Rick said, more on the on the warehouse side and how do you pick product, you know, efficiently and cleanly and get it to the get the customer the stuff that he's after, but really on the for the manufacturing side, you get into how do you train people to do a job that they've, you know, you want to release them out on the shop floor and you have safety issues and and it's hazardous out there and to teach them what their job is, this augmented reality of and using that on the training side is fantastic and we've used a little bit of it, you know, keeping those people safe when you're dealing with um, five tons of molten glass is critical. The other thing is um, where Rick, or sorry, Mark was going was the uh, this idea of the simulation. How can you use this augmented reality to do something, design something without actually making it, and just kind of visually see it? That's fantastic in our space, in our manufacturing space as well. When you you kind of tapped out all the lean initiatives and you squeezed every little thing out of the process, you need some disruptive technology to push you forward and to get to that next level. And this, you know, just augmented reality is a great way to just view it without actually having to modify your shop floor. So you're making product and you're advancing the technology at the same time. Thank you, Tim. Sounds exciting to me. And guess what's exciting right now is we're ready for our crystal ball predictions round. So I'm going to circle it back to Mark Frank at Deloitte. And Mark, I'm going to give you a full 90 seconds, no less, no more. I love the year 2020. I told you that before. How far in the future can you see in the Deloitte crystal ball? And what do you think would be different if we met again to have this same conversation about transporting your factory into the future now? Will it already have happened? So Mark Frank, Deloitte, predictions, 90 seconds, go. So I think in, in 2020, a lot of the predictions we're talking about are going to be real because I think most of these that we've talked about today, there's already examples. I think what you'll see, though, is an emergence of, of local manufacturing and distribution that's able to kind of deal with 
what is typically today volume producers, being able to go create prototype parts and customizable things so that you'll end up seeing a level of people that are dealing with infrastructural, the, the ones that are dealing with, with big, large-scale capital manufacturing will still be somewhat centralized, but the whole concept of customization and putting things around the edges, I think, are going to be are going to change the value chain and the the ability for manufacturers to kind of narrow the gap between the end customer and the manufacturer. So there's going to be a consolidation of that middle piece, but those that are closer to their customer are going to end up being the winners of being able to take out that value chain in the middle. But I do think that there will be all the things that we just talked about will be more more accepted. And the real question is going to be, what are the next things that come out as people are able to go do innovation and prototyping in much smaller lot sizes and scale sizes? Um, because that's really going to be where the next innovations come from. You know, whether that's in smaller robotics, whether it's in nanotechnologies that allow new advanced materials to, to take place. I mean, you just see the advancement of just aluminum and um, other composites in in the appliance manufacturing and car manufacturing. I just think that's going to continue to expand into the into the future of manufacturing and those that are able to stay agile in their manufacturing process from design to end customer are going to be the winners. Thank you, Mark. I only have 60 seconds left for each of the other panelists for predictions. So Tim Day at Johns Manville, 60 seconds, go. Uh, I can go fast. So Mark <laughs> talked to it earlier. It's really just the idea of this fully integrated supply chain. And as you discussed, a, a motor going out, why do you have to contact the vendor? That vendor should already already be seeing that your motor is heading out, you know, going out of, you know, the wrong way. Have the motor on the truck already heading your way. And this idea of nanotechnology and cloud computing and getting information out there where people can help squeeze that supply chain. It all comes back to this idea of insight to action. When you have the insight, you can see what's happening. Your time frame to when you take action on that insight, push that towards zero, either with automated um, fixes or, mm -hmm. you know, you have to reach out and make that phone call. But as you can squeeze that insight to action, that time frame in between, that's, that's where we're trying to send it, and that's supply chain or cloud computing or even dealing with your customers and the customization that they want out of their manufacturing um, and the goods that they produce now. So that's it. Thank you, Tim. Okay, Rick Imber, I saved 60 seconds for you. Rick, predictions, go. Thank you. So I agree with everything that's been said, and I'll just add a couple more items here because I only have a couple seconds. Um, you know, I think the factory of the future in 2020, it's only four years away, but uh, heck, mm -hmm. Um, I think we're going to be the lot sizes. We're going to be driven down to a lot size of one. You know, customers are going to expect greater and greater customization, individualization in their products. And um, if you can, if your factory can't handle that, you will be left obsolete. If you look at like Harley Davidson, back in 2000, they were facing bankruptcy because it took them 21 days to produce a custom motorcycle. Now, through advances in technology out on the factory floor, they can produce a custom motorcycle in six hours. So whether you want to talk about motorcycles, cell phones, tennis shoes, moving towards a lot size of one is what I see in the future. And also, I know we're out of time, but the, a product is a platform. 
you know, manufacturing a product, heck, I could envision a future where products are given away for free, and really it's about the, you know, the content that product has to offer afterwards. You know, I think everything from your jacuzzi to your patio furniture to uh, your light bulbs, everything's going to be connected. 50 billion devices are going to be connected in the future uh, to the Internet, and being able to offer content across those platforms will be key. Rick, I think you just wrote the abstract for part two of Factory of the Future, which is coming up on October 7th. It's going to be a great show. Why don't you just take everything you put into the predictions, write it up, and that will be, we'll talk about manufacturing, make for me, one-on-one, what are people looking for, and dial it back into how Factory of the Future will. What do you think, Rick? Good idea? Sure. I think that's I think that's fun. Idea. And you know what? You can make it a birthday present to me because October 7th is part two, and that's my big day. So there we'll have a party talking about manufacturing of the future. What would I like for my birthday from the factory of the future? Well, there you go. Mark, Frank, and Deloitte, thank you so much. Pleasure to speak with you. Tim Day at Johns Manville, the same. Rick Imber, what can I say? And shout out to Marty Rugel at SAP. And thank you to Justin at World Talk Radio for being our engineer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt wherever it was manufactured. I don't know if it has sensors in it. Mine doesn't yet. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one, everyone. And I'll be back at 2 p.m. this afternoon with the debut of Game Changing HR Leaders presented by SAP and ASUG. We'll see you then on the Business Channel. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.